in John chapter 18, Jesus says uh, this. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Can you read that with me? Let's all read it out loud. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. There's a principle here that I want you and I to get a hold of. And it's, uh, it's this idea, this understanding of, of how we live in the now, but the not yet. The right now is that the kingdom of God is here, but it hasn't fully come. So we're living in the now and the not yet. And when Jesus was on the planet, he was declaring to them, right now, if my kingdom was of this world, then my disciples would fight. They would go up in arms and they would do battle so that you couldn't do what you want to do. And in fact, the scripture tells us that, that Jesus at any time could have called 10,000 angels to rescue himself, uh, you know, at any point, at any moment along the way. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. And so it's important for us to realize what, what we're a part of. We are part of the greatest thing that the world has ever seen. It's called the kingdom of God. We have the privilege to declare the word of the Lord to all nations. We have the, the opportunity to help people get free from their own pride and free from their own lust and free from life-controlling issues. That's the gospel. That's the message. That's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to be about. And we're not to fight with one another. And we're not to battle it out somewhere on some social media uh, arena to where we think we can bring glory to Jesus by our words on a page. I don't know too many people that get convicted by reading something on Facebook. I don't know too many people that, you know, uh, can, I, can I just tell you that what, one of the things, I didn't say any of this in the first service, but, um, but we can let it breathe a little bit longer in here, but can I just tell you what concerns me about the digital world in general is that people think it's life, but it's not. And how could I say that? Well, because there was life before the digital world. And you can be disconnected from it, though you'll feel it when you are. This phone has this weird attraction to me. I, I'm embarrassed to say how many times a day I just have to reach out and touch it. Where's my phone? Leave the room. Where's my phone? Anybody else? You feel that? That's because it's connected to that brain. Can I tell you, Jesus wants to get between your face and your Facebook. He wants to get between you and your YouTube. He wants, why? Because Jesus wants imminence. But I, I'm afraid to say that there's a generation that's alive and on the planet right now that doesn't want to go to heaven because there's no digital world in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, but not unless there's YouTube. Hear me. This is why and I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying this not as a prophet. I'm saying this as, as someone who understands human nature and has studied it for a long time. This is why it's going to be very easy to go cashless. Because people think that that is the only way. And it'll just be accepted without a hiccup. And I'm not here to talk end times, though I'm here to talk about 
end times. I, I, I've never done a message quite like this, but I, I wanted you to, to kind of get some perspective his, history-wise, okay? So I've listed here, uh, rather Sarah Bundy has listed here, um, uh, five, uh, uh, five different plagues that have been in our world. And so what was kind of humorous was I said, Sarah, do this for me. Go online and research the, the plagues in the history of the world and, and put them, this is what I gave her, some general information. I said, put them into the notes for Sunday morning. She said, there are 35 pages. <laughs> 35 pages of plagues. Oh, okay, we have a problem. We don't want to burn up that many trees. Okay, what are we going to do? And so we kept cutting, kept cutting, kept cutting, kept cutting till we got down to what we have. Uh, the plague of Justinian, these, these, are, these are events, they, they come up with the names of them, uh, 541 to 542, West uh, Europe and West Asia, bubonic plague, uh, beginning of the first plague pandemic, 40 to 50% of the population of Europe died. Uh, the Black Death, this is uh, the, the second round, 75 to 200 million or 10 to 60% of the European population, their, uh, their uh, ability to track numbers back then was probably not what we have today. Third uh, plague uh, pandemic, 1855 to 1960, 12 million plus India and China alone. That was, you know, that was just in, in that arena. The 1918, the Spanish flu, um, uh, probably some of us have uh, family members that uh, are still around that remember that. 17 to 100 million people uh, were, uh, were died as a result of the Spanish flu. Uh, HIV AIDS, uh, 32 million plus uh, worldwide since 1981. Uh, present, um, I did a, a I did a little number the other day just to look at it, and this is this is a off the beaten path, but just since we're talking numbers, just for grins and giggles, if I, that's probably inappropriate to say right now about what I'm about to say. Do you know there have been 61 million abortions since 1973, just in America, just in America, 61 million. So when you and I talk about numbers then we've got to realize the history of our world is, is replete with pandemics. Just this generation hasn't seen it before. What this generation has that other generations didn't have is the ability to see something happen on the far side of the world instantaneously. And so our brains are subjected to more information than we've ever had before. But with that information, we lack the wisdom to put things into a proper perspective in a proper context. You see, we, because we've never, had to be, we've never been faced with that before. You know, and and so the so the reality of how to process all this information is coming at us, and then you got to have an opinion. Can I tell you, you don't have to have an opinion. You absolutely do not have to have opinion, an opinion about everything. I sat with a, a brother one time uh, years and years and years ago. He just started coming to Lighthouse, and, and his, he was an intellectual, you know, and he began to talk to me about different things, and, and, uh, and he was saying to me, and this is going to sound like an argument for ignorance, and I, and I live in the tension of it. I, I, you know, I went back to school to get further education, but at the same time, I understand the limits of education, right? And, uh, and so I was sitting and listening to him, and, and he was talking about all of these other things and telling me his opinion about every one of them. And I said, you know what? I really don't have an opinion about those things. And he was like flabbergasted. Like, how could you not? Like, what's, what's, why are you so ignorant that you don't have an opinion? I said, because... If it doesn't help me love God more and love people better, then I don't know that I need to have an opinion about it. 
I had a brother uh, some time ago was talking to me. He was in the philosophy department down at Regent, and we were talking about, uh, you know, Nietzsche and some of the writings of Nietzsche and Marx and all these kind of stuff. He said, you ever read Nietzsche? I said, will he help me love Jesus more than I have? If so, I'll read him. But I don't think he will. You know, our, our responsibility in your life and mine is to keep the main thing the main thing. To prioritize what we need to prioritize. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not from this world. Otherwise, my disciples would fight about it. But Jesus is firmly king, firmly seated at the right hand of the Father, not shaking one iota over everything that's happening on the planet. He's not threatened. He's not concerned. Oh, I didn't think about that, says God. Never. Why? Because he's God. And when you and I learn to align ourselves with the principles of the word of God, then we don't have to be shaken either. Because heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. And your job and mine is to know God. Not just know the Bible. I know people that know the Bible that don't know God, and you do too. And they can quote chapter and verse, but their life is a wreck. And let me tell you, Jesus wants his word to become flesh in your life so that your life is founded firmly on the principles of his word, all right? And when you do that, when you allow the word to become flesh in you, you're going to stabilize. You're going to have, and here's a, here's a verse for you, right, from Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Romans 14, 17, where Paul says the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. It's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about that for a minute. So the kingdom is about righteousness. That means things that work right. Righteousness means it has a right standing. It's functioning the way it ought to. God designed his world to, to function in righteousness. When Adam and Eve stepped out, out of bounds, things stopped working in a righteous fashion. Things began to break down. Things began to corrupt. Things began to degrade. But Paul said that, that righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is what the kingdom is about. It's not about eating and drinking. So don't make it about eating and drinking. Don't make it about masks or no masks. Don't make it about, don't, don't do damage to the kingdom on temporal things. This is what Paul is saying. He's, he's saying, you know, there were some saying, don't eat that meat. It was offered to an idol before it ended up on your plate. And he says, you know, that person's faith isn't strong enough for, for, you know, to eat that. He said, my faith would be strong enough to eat it. It's no big deal. But they raised it, so it's a matter of their conscience. Don't let the kingdom be about the stuff. Because that stuff's not going to make it into heaven. Right, And so he said uh, the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, first of all, in your thoughts, second of all, in your words, third of all, in your actions. You got that? Your thoughts, your words, your actions, your thoughts, your words, your actions. If you and I can do anything about keeping kingdom priorities straight, it's first and foremost understanding the nature of the kingdom and recognizing we must give ourselves to righteousness we have become slaves to righteousness through the blood of Jesus. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. That means your opinions are not your own any longer. 
Your body is not your own. It's bought with a price. We just sang for 20 minutes on the blood of Jesus. You are purchased by the Lord. You and I do not have the right of division. We don't have the right to hold offense against anybody. We don't have a right to do that. Why? Because I'm not my own. I am bought with a price. I'm an ambassador of the kingdom. I'm a representative. You can't have an ambassador to go to another country and just spout off whatever they think ought to happen because they'd be recalled real fast. Let me go criticize. Let me, let me be the U.S. ambassador to China and go criticize the Chinese government while I'm in their country just because I want to. You're an ambassador of the kingdom. So righteousness, peace, and joy. What's going to happen? He says, he says, righteousness, peace, peace. You and I are emissaries of the gospel of peace. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, our feet are shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That means when we walk in, peace walks in with us. When we walk in, we need to be the breath of fresh air that moves into that room. Oh, I'm so glad you're here because it was not peaceful until you got here. You ought to be carrying peace with you wherever you go. You know what? I love having kids in the service. It is not a problem at all. I love Bella. She's awesome right over there. You know, I preached in Uganda, and there were pigs and chickens running up and down the, the aisle. And uh, you know what? This is no big deal. What is scary in Uganda is when women breastfeed while you're trying to preach. Now, that will, that will cause a pause. All of a sudden, I'm looking somewhere else. Whoa! Anyway, TMI. And so... So the reality for you and me has got to be that we, we, we carry the peace of God. We're peacemakers, right? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So when we walk into the room, we carry the peace of God with us. We walk in and the, and the, and the kingdom comes in with us. And, and the nature of the kingdom is things work right and there's peace. Lastly, there's joy. Joy begins to break out when people realize this is really what life is all about. When you look in the book of Acts and, and the people responded to the word of God, there was great joy in that city. So righteousness, peace, and joy ought to be in our homes. It ought to be in our families. It ought to be in our workplaces, wherever we go. If it's not there, you're just carrying the kingdom. You're carrying the kingdom. You're an ambassador. Can I tell you, things are not going to get better before Jesus comes back. Things are going to get worse. And I'm not a prophet. I'm not. What I am saying is don't anticipate things to get any better. But you and I, can I tell you, did, we, just, we just read the short list of plagues uh, in the history of the world while the kingdom of God was still here. And let me tell you, they said, he's coming back. This is the end. When 50% when of Europe was wiped out, they were saying, this is the end. Honey, that wasn't the end. Now, I don't want to be cynical. I don't want to be that guy that's saying, you know, it's a long time till the Lord comes and, and let's go ahead and eat and drink and be merry because Jesus isn't coming back. I'm not saying that. But neither am I frightened by a pandemic thinking that Jesus is going to come back tomorrow. I've lived through Y2K. Kingdom priorities. How do you keep established in the midst of these times? You, you get about doing what God makes as a priority in the kingdom. 
uh, turn your, in your notes. Uh, this is the Joshua Project of Unreached People Groups. People that study these things tell us that there are 7,402 people groups on the planet that haven't been reached. Now, there's a difference between unreached and unevangelized. Unevangelized could be your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus. But your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus in Gloucester, Virginia, has probably passed two dozen churches on their way to work. Your neighbor in Gloucester, Virginia, has probably bypassed Christian radio stations, Christian television stations. They, they probably uh, are exposed plenty to the Bible, you know, and they've, they've, they've tuned it off, out. They, for whatever the reason, maybe somebody didn't sit down with them and share Jesus. Maybe they're just like I was before I met the Lord. I was a snot. Maybe they're just a snot, and, they're, and they don't want to receive the Lord. But they're not unreached. Unreached means that you could live and die your entire life and never hear the name Jesus one time. That you could live and die your entire life. Probably your ancestors all lived and died right there in the same community where you're at. And none of them ever heard of Jesus either. And, and the reason was because you live in a geographic area where it's hard to get to. Or maybe there's no Christian literature in your language. There's no Bible. There's nobody that's, that's thought it uh, important enough for, for them to leave where they were and go to where you are and communicate the, the life-giving bread of life to them. Nobody did that. And that is 41.6% of the world population right now. 3.2 billion with a B. 3.2 billion with a B people who have never ever, they are considered unreached. In other words, they don't have 50 Bibles in their language. They don't have the scrap of the first verse. Nobody has done anything. Let me tell you, if, if you and I were thinking about what, what's on the heart of Jesus today, if we got in the presence of the Lord the way Isaiah did, and, uh, and we had an encounter where the Lord takes us into that moment and takes us into his throne room, and we see the angels flying around, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And we said, woe to me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips and he sends an angel with the coal from the altar and cleanses our lips. And then he says, who shall I send and who will go for us? And in that moment, in that moment, what's on his heart are 7,402 people groups, 3.2 billion people on the planet because the other 99 are already fenced in, but the one, the one, is where his heart is. The one. His heart is the one. So our kingdom priorities, if you and I are going to say, what must we be doing right now if this is the last days, and it is since, two, since, uh, since the day of Pentecost, when Peter said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer, what, what does this mean that the Holy Spirit's been poured out? And he said, I'm, I'm going to read to you from Joel 2, in the last days... I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So Peter said, Joel prophesied this a, a few hundred years ago, but when the Holy Spirit was poured out, Peter said, aha, 
That's what this is. The Holy Spirit was poured out. We are in the last days. So what shall we do now that we are in the last days? And we have ourselves a pandemic. What shall we do? Well, here's what you don't do. You don't rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. Because this thing's going down. And forgive my just lightening the moment, but Peter said it 2,000 years ago, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Do not dip your soul in what our culture says is the way you live. You want to know the way to live? Get tight with Jesus. Because he's the only thing that's going to work. He's the only thing that's going to keep you buoyant. He's the only reason that you could ever have hope in this life. Not because you live in America. Thank God for all we have. But don't live for it. Because it can be gone tomorrow. But what you and I have to do is we have to hang on to him. We have to hang on to the kingdom. And we need to make kingdom priorities our priority. Because if we make kingdom priorities our priority, we will not be ashamed when we stand before Jesus. I'm, I'm convinced that every vision that comes from God takes more than one generation to bring to pass. And years ago, when uh, there was a pulpit committee and I had to sit in front of the pulpit committee, we'd served here for eight years and, and you know, they said, okay, well, we're, we're looking for a senior pastor. I sat with the pulpit committee and Brother Harry Holland, who's 91 now, I think, 91, 92, um, he said, pastor, what's your vision for Lighthouse? And I had to tell him, I said, Brother Harry, you know, I, I have a vision for what I'm going to preach on Sunday and I think I know what I'm going to have for lunch today, but I don't have much more vision than that right now. And through the years, Holy Spirit has given me more vision for what I believe he wants to do in keeping with the pathway of this next verse in James chapter 1. In keeping with the, the spirit of what's in this verse. James chapter 1 verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. When you were a kid and you played a board game. How many of you played board games? Maybe you're not even a kid and you can still. Maybe you're a kid and you still play board games. That's good. You remember on the outside of uh, most of the Milton Bradley games, there was a little object of the game. Do you remember the object of the game? The little object of the game, and, and it was usually in one sentence, you know, the object of the game is. And uh, I, I look for places like that in the scripture. Uh, maybe you're like me. But, you know, for years, you know, what, where, where's the gospel in one verse? John 3.16. You know, there are some one-verse summaries you know, I, I like the one in Micah 6, 8. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of thee to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. You, you knew I learned it in King James, didn't you? You know, that's an that's a object of the game. That's a, here it is in a nutshell. That you're going to get a lot of more details, but, uh, you know, the, the working out of that. But this, if you'll do this, if you'll do this one thing, you're going to be in the zone. You can be right where you need to be. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And here in James, he, he gives us one of those. Think about it. 
religion that, we don't like that word, but, but this is what James was, was talking about. He, religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless. In other words, what are you doing with what you know? What, how are you occupying your time while you're waiting for the kingdom to wrap up? What are you doing with it? And here's what he said. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I like that because it just gives us a little bit of a summary. You know, I, I read uh, James Clear's book probably about a year ago, uh, Atomic Habits. And uh, I'm, I, I do, uh, you know, for my own personal life, I'm always trying to grow in disciplines and grow in my understanding of how, uh, of how to do certain things. And I've, I've, maybe you're like me, but I've been on a roller coaster, you know, with my exercise, roller coaster with my weight. Some days I feel closer to Jesus than others. And so I feel like my disciplines are kind of on a roller coaster sometimes. They never kind of go, look, well, like, like this, right? They never go Ooh, like that. Mine goes like. <laughs> and, uh, but here's one of the things that I, I discovered, and I, I think I can find application here uh, for us in this text. Um, one of the things that I discovered when I, uh, about uh, habits in general is that if you will give yourself to doing the right things and putting the right things in, you have less time, energy, money, focus for all the wrong things, right? So let's that, that's my theory. So let's, let's work this theory out for a second. If I tell you, thou must drink half your body weight in ounces of water per day. Thou must have four servings of vegetables and fruits per day. And you, by the time you put all of that in, guess what? You're probably not going to have much room for anything else. Besides, you're going to spend most of the day in the bathroom. <laughs> but your time, your energy, and money got put into doing the things that were right. And so after a while, what happens is your body adapts and says, okay, this is what we're going to have. So then, then there's less and less dependence on the things that would be detrimental. Let me, let me put it to you like this, okay? Uh, so uh, for, for some of you, this was a long time ago. For some of you, this was not so long ago. Uh, you remember the, the time when you, were, when you had time and energy and money to go party, and so when you were maybe in your late teens and early 20s, you know, it was all about you were living for Friday night. You were living for Saturday night. Some of y'all didn't have a paycheck left after the next day. You remember that. You know, I, I don't know if I got enough gas money to get home, but man, we partied a good time tonight. You did it. You partied big, you know. And, and then guess what happened? You found that, that special person. Ah, and you fell in love. And that special person said, you can't be out partying like that all the time. We got rent. <laughs> and what happened? Well, you got rent because you can't live on love. So you got rent. So what do you do? You get a J-O-B. You get a J-O-B. And then you work 10 hours in a day. And after working 10 hours in a day, your mind is not on partying anymore. Your mind is now, let me go take a shower, let me hit the bed. And so you do that for five days and hanging out at home seems kind of good on Friday now. <laughs> Besides, we got bills, right? And then pretty soon, Papuska is coming along. Now we got kids to pay for. 
when you give yourself to doing the right things, the wrong things start to fall off you because you have filled up on the right things, right? So in this passage, James is saying, look after some orphans and look after some widows. Put your energy into that. And then he says, and keep yourself from being corrupted by the world. Let me tell you, when I, when I realized that my money was not my money, and that my money was the Lord's money, and that if there were families that were in need, that he was going to dip into my pocket and take out some of his money to look after a family or two or four, then my priorities began to shift over what was mine and what was his and what was the need. And so you begin to look after others because those are kingdom priorities. Those orphans don't eat and they're on your watch. That gets you in trouble with their father. Are you tracking with me? You, you don't honor those widows, those ladies who labored in the heat of the day to look after their families and to make sure that their kids had everything they needed, but just at the time when they need you most, you turn your back on them. You think that's going to go over okay with the father? I don't think so. But this is what our culture does. Our culture says, what have you done for me lately? But in the kingdom, we have different priorities. Those seven, those 3.2 billion people, Jesus' attention is on them big time right now. Because they don't have any way to get to heaven. They don't have any way. Even though we know very clearly that there's a way. And we've known for 2,000 years. But they don't have any way. And they don't know. One preacher said it this way. He said, how should anybody have a second slice of the bread of life when 3.2 billion haven't had the first slice? Why should we be arguing over the second coming of Jesus when 3.2 billion people don't know he came the first time? Where are our priorities as a people, as a church? As a church? 